Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. The following episode contains strong language and sensitive themes, which some of you might find upsetting, including stalking, domestic abuse, and suicide. Please listen with caution. So we've actually got the files from Emma to share with you today. I feel so shaky. I don't know how you guys feel. I feel like my heart was like like beating out my chest just listening to that. Stalker is a word you've heard in every episode of this podcast so far. Perhaps you've even called yourself a stalker after looking up your ex's Instagram one too many times. But this word, this label, seems to evoke a deep sense of shame, of someone that's rejected by society, hidden in the shadows. There's a certain revulsion that's tied to our image of a stalker. Throughout this investigation, my producers and I have been in contact with several organisations who work with stalkers. They often use less stigmatising language of those who have stalked. Reform stalker, I think the power of that label has a real impact in terms of being a barrier to, to talking about those kind of experiences. After my previous interview with Dr Alan Underwood... I can understand and have some sympathy to the fact that there might be a lot going on in the life of someone who's stalking. I mean, it's not really healthy behaviour, is it? And it doesn't indicate to me that they're happy with their life. Still, I want to hear what's going on in a stalker's mind in their own words. I do always try, try, try really hard to avoid that word stalker. We heard from Dr. Rachel Wheatley back in episode one. Rachel has spent time researching how men who have stalked view their stalking behaviour. In a paper entitled It's So Hard to Get Out of That Bubble, a phenomenological analysis with men who have stalked, Rachel and her co-authors gathered responses from male stalking offenders in prison. This is what they had to say. Their responses are voiced by actors. A stalker, in my head, is somebody who'd wait for someone. Like, know their routine. Because A stalker is somebody who's hanging about people's houses all the time, phoning people all the time, doing things like that, and like just being a nuisance. Whereas, I wasn't like that. How other people would want to be connected to a stalker is beyond me. He has to be a loner. I'm sorry, but other people won't want to be connected to that. To them, he's scum. Stalkers don't deal with reality. There must be something missing inside someone that they want to impose their will on someone else. They are unable to let go. It's that word, stalker. I hate it. I know that's what I'm labelled as now, but I don't think what I did classes as a stalker. It's a really negative word. And someone who's a stalker is someone really bad. 
I don't categorise myself as that. It should be lower to harassment, not stalking. A conviction of stalking, I really don't think that's what I should have got charged for. But maybe I'm wrong. I personally, I don't think I should be in prison now for what I've done. I mean, it's only messages being nice. I want to be a positive force in her life, but she won't allow it. I've been a negative impact instead, which for me is better than being absolutely nothing at all to her. I put myself in her path and she's now acknowledging me, you know, she's validating me. That's my worry that I'm not their main person because when you're with a girl and they say, oh, you're the best thing that's happened to me, I worry that I'm not. It's so hard to get out of that bubble of all the anger and the feelings. You know, it's just there and you're locked in and... You just can't escape it, it just holds you. You're not living life to the full if you're stalking. You're that obsessed, you're so fixated to an unhealthy extent on this person that you're missing out on life. You're totally focused on this person, you're behaving in self-defeating ways. I mean, look at where it's got me. When I go through a depressive episode, the stalking sort of intensifies and I start behaving more towards her. No, I wanted to hurt her because I felt like a fool. You know, I felt mugged off. I'd kind of lost control of it. It was like the one focus. I wanted to get my own back, and I acted out. And I kind of got enjoyment out of that, you know? It gave me a kick. Kind of got off on it. I knew that it would never go further than anything like what I was doing. I mean, I did have thoughts about, could I physically hurt her? But (laughs) I know that's not me. Yeah, I could see I was in the wrong... But there's part of me that would say, well, hang on a minute, I'm going through all this pain over her and she can just swap me away. Like, you know, swatting an annoying fly. So however much I longed for her, I knew realistically it wasn't going to happen and I suppose that's where a lot of the violent thoughts came from. Because I'd be feeling very angry. No, I didn't care about anyone else. Just cared about me. I didn't care how anybody else felt. I cared how I felt. When I was stalking, I was so dedicated to it, and nothing would stop me. It was my main focus. I'd been arrested twice, had three warnings from the police, but that didn't deter me. It didn't scare me off. So overwhelming was the need for her. I find it interesting that many of the men in this paper seem to distance themselves from the label of stalker. Is it a form of coping with their circumstances, or a genuine belief that they weren't causing harm? And if even those that have been convicted and sentenced to prison for stalking distance themselves from that word, just what hope is there of breaking the cliché of the stalker? I definitely am the kind of person that has like found out information about someone on the internet that they like might not know is there through like stuff like you know company's house or I've like looked at people's addresses on right move um like I admit to doing that but is that cyber stalking maybe I've done it the age of social media has meant we can follow people and keep up with their life in a socially acceptable way but sometimes we can get obsessive and for some the temptation to misuse these tools is overpowering. Say someone was listening to this and they're worried about their own behaviour. Maybe they feel that they've become obsessive about a partner or an ex-partner. What should they do? How can they recognise when it's becoming a problem and where can they go for help? 
breathe, you know, breathe, recognize, sit with that thought that potentially this could be a problem for you, you know, allow yourself to have that momentary panic or, you know, despair or I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I don't know what else to do or I don't know where to go for help or, you know, and just notice that those thoughts and and those emotions are just thoughts and just emotions, you know, even the urges, you know, all of these things, they're not your master, they're not your ruler, they, you know, they, your thoughts and your feelings give you information, you don't always have to act on, on the back of them. Um, and you can choose what you do, what you want to do with this one life moment by moment. So maybe just, you know, sit with that discomfort recognize that it's a good thing that you've noticed that some of your uh, behaviors or you know some of the things that you're thinking about doing um, are problematic think about where you can then go for that sort of trusted help and and support you know it might be you've already started to engage in those behaviors it might be that you're having those urges and finding your situation difficult and not done anything yet but you can some of the stuff we've talked about in the podcast has kind of resonated whatever the situation is you know you should absolutely be proud of yourself that you've recognized that there are choices and sometimes the easiest actions seem to be those the ones that are more impulsive based on the back of an emotion um but actually think about those longer term consequences and whether that does really fit with the kind of person that you are and that you want to continue to being at the core. So, you know, reach out to people. It could be to a GP, it could be trusted family or friends, anyone um, in a helping profession that you're currently in contact with. It could be employer assistance programs, could be voluntary projects in your area you know, anything related to mental health, because that is all, you know, it's the human response to dealing with adverse situations. You know, we we hit times of distress and our mental well-being takes a dip. So all of these charities are, you know, places where you can go. And, and it's about removing those labels and stereotypes about, well, I wouldn't go there because I'm not mentally ill. You know, this is about recognizing mental wellness emotional wellness um and when we're just maybe a little bit under the weather with that you know like you wouldn't think twice of going to the doctor about you know uh, a persistent pain in a particular part of the body you know it's it's the same thing so it you know get help get support sometimes saying things out loud and sharing your um situation and getting that advice uh, and having that outlet can be really really helpful but but equally like i said you know learning to just sit with those urges in those moments to sit with that discomfort notice it and recognize that those times will pass you know try and be kind to yourself like you would be kind to a friend if they've disclosed those same things to you take a stock of like a bit of your life like a bit of a life mot you know do you want to reconnect with some certain friends and family uh, or even new people have you let um, your aspirations sort of educational employment career-wise fall to the wayside Uh, you know how how are you looking after your health and self-care start small start small small little steps will build build up to to big things
So we've actually got the files from Emma to share with you today. So, I didn't expect this today. Emma, who we spoke with in episode two, has just sent over some audio recordings and voicemails from her stalker. As well as Kim, I was also joined on the call by one of our other producers, Graham. So we'll go through them one by one. I've not heard these either, so we're in the same boat. There we go. I'm going to play these games. I'll play them all day long. So, up to you. Look, I won't give it up. And things will happen. So, up to you. Sunday. 11, 12 p.m. Hi. Hi, Red. How are you? Want to answer? Sunday, 11, 11 p.m. Can you please, you please, it's a lot of time to explain. I don't think we are, are we? So uh, let, let's uh, do our thing and then we'll go and carry on from there. I know that I have a meeting. Because I'm not back in time, I'm not. It, I'm doing waste my breath. I sat and explained to you about her routine and suddenly you, you have a conversation about you demanding what you want and then kicking off. Getting nasty and doing the threat. And this is exactly what you've done again. Exactly what you've done again. Uh, does it really matter? Yeah, but it stops seeing my daughter, yeah? It does. I'll tell you what, if it stops you seeing your daughter and I'm not doing it properly, go and speak to your solicitor and arrange it formally. That's fine. There's only once I've ever said that it's not suitable for you to say once. The guy was being solicited, that's absolutely fine. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, it's the first time I've actually finished her. Unfortunately, I have a meeting. I have to earn money. What do you want me to do? Fuck off. You're saying that, so I'm a bitch. Do you know what? Even if I was doing that... You are doing that? So why are you lying? It doesn't make a difference what I do. Pretty swag. Fuck you, yeah. I'd have to do 20 years. You'll never see her again. You don't realise, babe, everything is being sent to the police now. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's fine. Well, well, that's fine, but then every other time when you've been in the pub and you haven't bothered to see her, then that's fine, isn't it? Again, once you're doing exactly what you said you weren't going to do, is demand it when you think it's convenient, and then suddenly you can start to say... Well, it's not convenient for you, so you go... One day, one day. One day, it's not convenient because I'm working. Working. You know what? This is so going to the police. And you can send it. I will send it. I will send it. You know what? I'm actually not that bothered anymore. Good. It won't be a shock then when they turn up, will it? Good. That's perfectly fine. Now stop contacting me. I'm going to kill you. I swear to God, if I don't get to see my daughter, I'm going to kill you. Do you know what? Promise me. I'm grateful that you do promise me. Okay. You're a sick, sick man. Sick, sick man. Okay. My daughter as well. Yeah, yeah. She was your daughter. You didn't think about that when you're punching seven bars of shit over me. You didn't think about that when you're threatening to kill me. Not guilty. Not guilty. 
You can sign up. Okay. okay. No, that's fine. Okay. okay. You both know what you did. You both know how many times you did it. Nah. You know, basically, man, I'm coming in tomorrow, but I give a fucking shit. Fuck them over here. That's my daughter. And I will say, I'm not giving a shit what anybody else has to say. Fuck the lot of you. So fucking get that fucking prick. Fucking ready. I'll fucking lot of you out. I want to see my daughter. And I will do. And I'll promise you I will do. You can choose either way. It's either I'll see you tonight or I'll drive to the front of the house tomorrow. By the way, I'll get to see her. I'll do a 20 stretch if I need to. I think we should just take a break before this last one because it's like seven minutes. Also, yeah, that was pretty intense. Yeah, I feel so shaky. I don't know how you guys feel. I feel like my heart was like, like beating out my chest at one point. I felt like so shaky just listening to that. So I don't know how I don't know how she was on the phone hearing all of that stuff. I know it's horrible. It, it's it's like putting the voice to to the story as well. Yeah, just how like how his voice changes at certain points where he does that kind of like sing songy, threatening voice. Ugh. Yeah, and then the thing that was like so distressing is he he like threatened to say I'll kill you. And she's not even phased. It's almost like she knew it was coming. And like, I, f- I found that so distressing. Yeah. The files that Emma sent over as well. Um, I don't know uh, how many she got, but that last one we played was voicemail 239. Jeez. I'll maybe just give some context for the next one. Um, this is the last one. Do you remember... Um, Emma told us about the crowbar incident. Emma mentioned this incident back in episode two. This took place back when Emma was still in a relationship with her ex-partner. Emma had threatened to leave the relationship. I remember distinctly saying to him that, you know, I can't continue like this anymore. I've got a daughter to look after. A few hours later, she's in her bedroom with their baby. Her ex-partner comes into the bedroom and threatens both her and their baby carrying a crowbar he had hidden in the downstairs cupboard. He holds the crowbar over their child's cot for 20 minutes until he falls asleep, staying on the bed with the crowbar still in his hand for eight hours. He was arrested soon after this incident. Okay, if you're ready to go on. Yeah. What are you doing? Get out now before you wake her up. Get out before you wake her up. Make a choice. Why, what are you doing? Make a choice. Stop it before you wake her up. Make a choice. What? It's me and her. Uh, well, nothing. I'm here, alright. Stop it before you wake her up. Stop it if you're waking her up. Go 
I'm asking you. Can you let her sleep, please? She's knackered. Where are you? No problem. Sure. What have I done now? What have I done now? It's light and lacquered. It is a bit hot. last one's pretty rough. I guess it's that thing of, of um, Emma again trying to be calm for it all. Like the fact that she's just trying to get a baby to sleep and like from the audio it's it's hard to tell what's going on but it just sounds like a lot of like tussling and sort of like the context of having that man with the crowbar that's chilling. He just sounds so unpredictable as well. So it feels like you have no idea where this is going since her living it. I can't even, like, I, I don't even know how she would be in a scenario like that because he's so obviously unpredictable and aggressive and violent. I know because she's talking to him in that same kind of calm and voice, isn't she? It's quite quite striking, yeah. Like like, oh, what have I done now? Kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, almost like maternal. She also just sounds so tired as well. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just felt like she's just like I can't do this. Like I can't do this right now. But she's like she's that's the card she's been dealt. She has to deal with this situation right now. Hearing Emma's story was real enough, but like just hearing that really makes you be able to picture what it was like dealing with him she mentions it um i think on some of the earlier ones but she says that she has a meeting or something for work and she's like i need to hold down a job to look after our baby and he's just like incessantly 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 calling her and messaging her and i don't know how i don't know how you hold down a job or hold down a life when somebody's just hell-bent on kind of making you aware of them at every minute of the day and worry about what they're going to do as well. I think that's the thing as well. I think, you know, in principle that so many of the victims will obviously have PTSD from what they've gone through. But I think hearing something like that, I don't don't know how you move on or 
I don't know, have your pre-sense of, you know, mental health and feeling of safety after you go through something like that, just hearing what some of that sounds like she went through. I just wanted to remind you of the incredible workings of chance in Emma's story. Emma's ex-partner was planning to kill them, but that weekend was the one weekend she had been away at a friend's birthday party. Had they been at home, Emma and her child might not be here today. Emma was told by a police officer that that was the only reason he killed himself and not them. Does it does it complicate things for you? Not complicate, but well, the the fact that he the, the fact that he killed himself. You know, listening to him like when he's ringing and he's drunk. I don't know. It's obviously somebody in like a pretty low point for him. I know this isn't probably what I meant to say, but I find it so hard to feel sorry for him just hearing the malice and like the torment in his voice. He is obviously severely, severely unwell. I can't imagine a human being being able to do that unless they were unwell, but I just, I cannot find the empathy for him in that situation compared to her where she's just like, she's pleading with him to like leave her alone. It's just really, it's really difficult. I can, I can understand that he's got a lot going on and that, I guess, adds a layer of nuance, but she's just so scared. And I think the baby as well, it's just like, you could, I just, I don't know. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So this is going to be in the final fifth episode of the series. This could well be the closest we get to actually speaking to a stalker. Do you feel like it's a good resolution? 
I feel like what we set out to do was almost have a neat bow on a box and what would have been the quote-unquote ideal situation would have been somebody who was reformed and somebody who could be the poster child for this this investigation and proof that you know there's hope and I think getting these voice notes and kind of going through this whole process and hearing about reoffending rates and hearing about how difficult it is to you know truly stop stalking this isn't the perfect ending but it's almost the fitting ending of what the reality is the reality is the victims live on with this trauma that they might possibly never get over and in this case I'm not saying it's the case for everyone but death was the only way that she could she could live her life again and we don't know if he could reform and that's the truth for a lot of these cases we don't know if many people can reform and I also just I guess it's making me think if we had found somebody who was reformed would we have been doing a disservice to victims of stalking to you know tie up this podcast with but there's hope for everyone you know the situation is all good people can reform it's it's fine that's not the truth the truth is this this is more honest i don't know how dr allen will feel (laughs) i know i don't know i do i want to like acknowledge that and not like shit on all of it but it's also difficult you know Reform isn't impossible, but I think he said it himself. Reoffending rates, the reality are they are just so high. It was important that we ended with him because it's really clear, having spoken to experts and Emma herself, I feel like domestic abuse and domestic violence and stalking are often a combination thing. And I think... That's something that I wouldn't necessarily have assumed going into this. And just knowing that, I don't know, all of these things are often, you know, jigsaw pieces that are fitting together to kind of form this, I don't know, monstrous level of abuse that's like got all these different things going on. Because I guess we kind of start with those stereotypes of the, like the stranger stalking. Yeah. I don't know what I was expecting from the whole thing. But I feel like, yeah, I guess you're right. We, well, I started off with that stereotype of a cyberstalker or somebody who's maybe a stranger kind of moving into somebody's life. And what we've ended with is various images of stalkers, but one of the ones that is prevalent is somebody who's already enmeshed in somebody's life and then just flips the switch in deciding to turn that already intimate relationship into, I guess, the dynamic of an abuser, a tormentor, and then the victim. I'm completely floored by the voice notes, in all honesty. It's just, it's just like a level of trauma that I just can't even fathom. You you choose how something this is very much hindsight by the way you choose how something affects you emma's testimony alone is enough to convey the life-changing impact stalking and domestic violence has on victims 
However, we have chosen to include the audio recordings in order to put a voice to the stalking Emma faced. And in essence, to help shatter the faceless, elusive image of a stalker we have been chasing in this investigation. I still have moments when I can't sleep. I still have moments when a particular sound of a lock in the door will send shivers down your spine. It's ingrained, it's instinctive, but it lessens every day. Um, I can't sleep with a curl around my neck. Um, One of the instances was he'd strangle me over and over until I passed out, and then when I woke up, he'd do it again. So that feeling of it around my neck will never go away. But you, you have to allow it not to affect you you have to find the strength again because ultimately it stripped you of everything but you're still a person I'm still a mom and I'm still a friend and a daughter and a sister and if I allow that to beat me then then what have I become I have to be bigger and stronger and if by doing that it's educated and I'm I'm pleased to say that in some instances that there's been an effect, you know, in some police um, authorities now, they, they don't instinctively say go no contact. And if by educating, you know, a, a, whether it's social services or, or the police or, you know, anyone who's involved in that journey along the way, by educating them to say, you know, just listen to that person. You know, I understand that some women go back. I understand that. But if they are screaming at their lungs and saying, I don't want to go back, but I'm scared of what will happen if I don't be in contact, then just listen. You know, not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but there should be more support to that bit in between because the bit that came after the relationship ended to the time that he killed himself, that broke me more than anything that had gone before anything that had gone before and that's what I'm so keen that's why I want to scream for the rooftops and tell the story that's what I'm keen to change M independent stalking advocate from Black Country Women's Aid echoes this need for a shift in how we respond to stalking and treatment of victims As I've said previously, they are our best risk assessors. And if they're telling you that something might happen, that threat really needs to be taken seriously, especially from ex-partners. We we know that they are possibly the most violent and most likely to act on any threats that they say that they're going to do. So listening to that real kind of worry and fear in that victim's voice, it's key because that could save their life. And as it's been mentioned as well, about not putting the onus always on them, because if they change their phone number um, and or if they get told the advice of please block them, that's not going to stop the stalking behaviour. That's just going to stop that one channel of stalking behaviour. It's just going to, if they're obsessed enough, okay, you've blocked me on your phone, fine, I'll turn up at your house. It's not going to stop the pattern of behaviour. It's just changing how they carry out that pattern of behaviour. It feels like we've barely touched the surface on this topic. From the intrusiveness of technology, to lack of knowledge about victim responses, and to the need for more resources and tougher sentences, there is so much that needs to be changed to tackle stalking. And what is the anatomy of a stalker? I don't think there is a definitive answer to that. And labelling somebody a stalker perhaps does more harm than good. While each typology has different motivations, I believe it's the need for control, either over one's situation or emotions, that drives stalking. 
Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I feel honored to have been a part of you being able to share that. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you. And like I say, it's the sad part is, is I am just a statistic. Um, that's the, the harrowing part. That's the bit that I fight every day to change. But thank you as well, because just by putting it out there and educating, and if one person hears it or listens to it, it makes one difference just to one person, then it's all been worth it. Thanks for listening to Anatomy of a Stalker. I want to thank all of our contributors for their time and valuable insights. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this episode or across the series, resources are available on the advice and support page at crimeandinvestigation.co.uk forward slash advice. Please let us know what you thought of the podcast by shouting about it on social media. That's it from me and the team. Take care. Anatomy of a Stalker is a crime and investigation original podcast from Q Podcasts. It's hosted by me, Rachira Sharma, produced by Kim Montgomery and Graham Woodcock, with music and sound design by Tom Hughes and Graham Woodcock. Niall Kalini-Taylor is our executive producer, and the commissioning editors for Crime and Investigation are Sam Pearson and Diana Carter. <laughs>